Get Real is recorded on the unceded lands of the Boonarong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We also acknowledge that the first peoples of Australia are the first storytellers, the first artists and the first creators of culture and we celebrate their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. Welcome to Get Real, talking mental health and disability, brought to you by the team at Irma365. Join our hosts, Emily Webb and Carenza Louis-Smith, as we have frank and fearless conversations with special guests about all things mental health and complexity. It's really important to have an awareness, even if it does sting at times, of the impact that our family can have on us. Once we have this awareness, it can be much, much easier to address or, if needed, even avoid any potential difficulties or tricky situations. Ultimately, you do need to look after yourself and you do need to make sure that you're in the best place to, one, can you help? Two, should you help? And three, do you need to ask for help? Hello and welcome to Get Real. I'm joined by Carenza Louis-Smith. And in part two of this series, we are focusing on why the Christmas and New Year period can be difficult for many people. The message is that you are not alone and there are ways that you can get through. Welcome, Carenza. Hey, Emily. Great to be back with you today. Yeah, I'm glad to be talking about this again. We had a great interview for the last one, and I'm sure this is going to be great too. Christmas is considered as one of the six most stressful life events, along with things like divorce, moving house and changing jobs. Although Christmas is meant to be a happy and joyful time, this isn't how everyone feels around this time of year. Christmas can be stressful and it can be lonely and depressing for many people. Some people find that the Christmas spirit and celebration can be really hard. Our special guests for this episode are Belinda Ellis and Jackie Ashmore from Irma365. Belinda is a registered psychologist and she specialises in forensics. And Belinda is Irma 365's Chief Practice Officer. She also operates her own private practice focusing on forensic and child development psychology. Jackie Ashmore is a registered nurse who specialises in forensic and mental health nursing. Jackie is our Chief Operations Officer at Irma 365. Before training as a nurse, Jackie was a corrections officer in prisons. Welcome Belinda and Jackie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. Thanks, Em. Hi, Carenza. And before we start, we'll be talking about some topics that listeners may find difficult. If you are affected by anything discussed in this episode, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14, and there will be details for support in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Em. So, Belinda and Jackie, um, I guess before we talk about why the festive season and Christmas, it can be a tough time for people for many different reasons. I'm really curious to know more about your careers, both as a psychologist and a mental health nurse. Maybe let's start with you, Belinda. Can you talk to us a bit about why psychology and what was it that drew drew you, I guess, to specialise in the forensic area? Sure, Karenza. Um, Psychology is a field I guess I fell into when studying at university, yet I very, very quickly became passionate about due to its complexities, but also its potential as both a discipline and a practice. So yes, for the past 15 years, I had specialised within forensics, specifically the assessment and treatment of individuals who have committed sexual and violent offences. And 
further to this, I've worked for many years within the field of non-forensic complex disability, mental health and child development. And I guess the reason why I, I have stuck with psychology for so many years is to really enhance outcomes for the individuals that myself and Irma 365 support. Thanks, Belinda. And what about you, Jackie? You've had a really interesting career path too. So before you joined us at Irma, you worked in the prisons and also in a secure forensic mental health hospital. And obviously, you've trained as a mental health nurse. Curious to know a bit more about your career journey too. Mine is a little bit different, I guess, in the sense that I was somebody that hadn't finished high school. So for me, I actually didn't initially think that I could end up in a position as a, as a mental health nurse. It was always something I wanted, but really it was probably my colleagues that steered me in this direction. And so I ended up in the prison system as a prison officer. And through that, I worked quite closely with a range of nurses in that space. And I was a health services officer at Barwon Prison. They really encouraged me to do more and that I could do more. So I started university at that stage and and went on my journey to become a general nurse, but fell in love with mental health nursing when I had a placement at Thomas Embling Hospital for people that have been found guilty by reason of mental impairment. And so that led me very closely back into the forensic system, but the mental health sphere on it. So I spent quite a substantial amount of time at Thomas Embling Hospital. So then I journeyed out to the prisons for the women's mental health unit and I ran the Marmac unit out there. I continued that on back into the Department of Justice, similar to Belinda, working with people that have come in touch with the criminal justice system and working on psychological interventions and treatment. And then over to Irma 365, where I'm the Chief Operating Officer here for Mental Health Forensic and Community Services. Thanks, Jackie and Belinda. Yeah, it's very inspiring to work with people who work in this area because there's so much, I guess, misunderstanding from the general public, and I'd include myself in that, about, you know, matters around forensics and and criminal offending. But Jackie, just before we get more into the interview, I'm really curious about what is Christmas Day like in a prison? Did you work Christmas Days? I think a lot of listeners would be interested to know what that looks like. Yeah, Christmas Day is in interesting one there's probably a lot more of the hype prior to christmas that takes place and christmas day in and of itself i often worked and i did that because i felt i wanted to be there for my teams for the most part of it the day has generally speaking less services available to it and so you don't have the standard processes that take place you don't have intake of of new prisoners coming into the center You have more of a skeleton staff for your medical and there's no programs that are running. So everything is really limited. So it's like every other public holiday of the year. And so it can create one of two things in that space. It can create that the hype has happened beforehand. So all the the family visits for prisoners and their families has taken place earlier. The emotional content in that space can be taken up possibly earlier or the day after and it can create boredom on the day of Christmas but the prisons do try to do a bit more in that space and they create an environment where there's you know a special lunch that takes place sometimes the salvos will come in and they'll often give out gifts to the prisoners there will be a different sense there's a there's a bit more of a community sense I guess people kind of band together naturally 
But of course, you do have people that are sitting in a space of sadness. But for the most part, people band together. Well, thinking about Christmas, you know, in that intro, Emily, you know, when you said Christmas was one of the six most stressful things that happen in our lives alongside things like divorce, changing jobs and moving house, that's quite a big statistic, isn't it? And, you know, it seems that feeling stressed in December is actually very common. So more than two in every five people say that they've experienced feeling stressed at Christmas. Anxiety infects three in 10 of us, while a quarter of people actually feel um, depressed at Christmas time, and just under a quarter say they felt really, really lonely. Jackie and um, Delinda, do these numbers surprise you at all? Absolutely not surprised by the stats, Carenza. I think as much as Christmas is promoted as a joyful time of, I guess, celebration, rejuvenation, it is for many of us far, far from the reality. It could be a particularly hard time, if not the hardest, especially, I guess, if impacted by personal difficulties or adverse life events, such as mental health, trauma, loneliness, isolation, illness, and the pressures of family, I think, can also act as a significant stressor with this one, as can balancing work, life, family, the extra social commitments throughout that time of the year. And all can be enough to, to lead to a range of emotions, as well as physical and emotional exhaustion. Yeah, I I just agree with what Belinda said. Probably surprising that it's not higher at times. Is there anything that either of you find difficult about Christmas personally? I think navigating the heightened emotions, we don't always know how people feel internally. And being qualified in this space, it often falls to you. So I think personally... It, it can be difficult with, you know, large family gatherings. You know, there's generally something that will take place in somebody's life and often being the the person at the table that works in mental health, it will be thrown to you like, oh, can you just go sort this out? Can you go see that they're all right? And so I think you're constantly on and you're constantly navigating that world of personal, private and professional and, and trying to still have your Christmas day in that space and and not having to control and manage the environment. So it can be difficult. And and there's normally this person, whether they're qualified or not, I think in a lot of families that that has to do that, that that is the person that is always settling the crowd or or making sure that, you know, Uncle Bob doesn't sit next to Auntie Jane and, you know, that they're going to get along and they don't have too many wines and that, you know, this kid isn't sharing with this one and how that plays on and the effect of that later in the day. So I think that can be, for me, something that I hold. And that's probably why I don't mind working Christmas because you're working it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with Jackie. I think for me, on a personal level, another big difficulty is the absence of family and friends who have passed. I find that incredibly, incredibly difficult at that time of the year and New Year period. And I I don't think I'm alone with that. I think that for many, this time of the year can lead to a sense of reflection. And with that sense of reflection, I think grief can bubble to the surface and really dominate. But thinking about that, you know, families, when we're really talking about families, and I think that's what a lot of Christmas is about. Well, the thing is, families can be really complicated, right? And I guess that Christmas can bring some of those issues to the forefront. Jackie and Belinda, you've both just touched on that. Arguments, sadness, trauma, regrets. Lots and lots of feelings. 
So I'm thinking about people listening to this podcast. I'm interested, what have you learned about how people can be supported when they might have complicated family relationships or be estranged from their families, sometimes by choice, sometimes not? What could you share with the people that are listening to um, this today? Belinda, I might start with you. Thanks, Carenza. I think the major key to this one is boundaries, which kind of leads naturally into the next one, being self-care. It's really important to have an awareness, even if it does sting at times, of the impact that our family can have on us. Once we have this awareness, it can be much, much easier to address or, if needed, even avoid any potential difficulties or tricky situations. As for the additional support, my advice is know your people and surround yourself with those who really understand you and can support you, whether that be friends or even professional supports. Thanks, Belinda. And Jackie, what about you? What are your kind of thoughts, again, I think for our listeners about complexity of families and Christmas Day? I like to take stock. So for me, it's like an internal stock take. I kind of look past and go over, you know, the it could be the last day, the last week, the last month. Reflect on what I've done, you know, what I've achieved, been part of, worked through already. And by being able to reflect on that, it can really help you with what the future one will be. You've been at a Christmas day before, you know, you know, what are the likely events that are going to take place? You can't predict it all, but you can know a little bit about how it's going to make you feel, how you may react in that circumstance. And then whether you want to put yourself in that position as well, because it's okay to not want to be at a family gathering. We all pressure ourselves in these moments to have to be there, but that may not be the right thing for you right now. And being honest with yourself in that space is important. And that may be saying, oh, I can't today. I'll, I'll catch everybody on Boxing Day. And that may work better for you and your anxiety at that time. Or it could be that that is actually the best place for you and you do want to be there. But what you need to do is you need to limit your time. I think that's a really important tip, all of those tips, because I think about it, you know, it's the build up to something, you know. So Christmas is coming, you're dreading it, you really don't want to be at that Christmas lunch. Maybe it's the outlaws that are making you feel anxious. Maybe it's a family relationship. That build up can be really, really difficult. Thinking about that build up, if you're really dreading it, if, you know, it, it makes you feel anxious, makes you feel unwell, all of those things. What can people do in that build-up, Jackie? Maybe start starting with you, just sort of building on what you were saying about maybe some of the decisions are do I go or not go or limit my time. But how do you manage the build-up to that day? Because as it gets closer, you know, those feelings can increase. I think people are always important in your in your place if you have them. And so knowing who your trusted person is that you can talk this through with, knowing that there are services available. There are numerous services out there that can help you work through your anxiety. If you are somebody that, that requires medication, talking with your doctor, having those conversations, preparing yourself in advance as well, everybody will have it, something slightly different that they need and, and the strength of that. And so people are important throughout all of this. It just may not be those people that you've seen on that day and that time. Also working through whether you have, you know, the ability or the want to do things like mindfulness, going for walks, exercising. Everybody will have something slightly different that sits with their sensory needs and understanding what that is for you as well. And Belinda, you sort of specialise in work as well with younger people. What if it's a younger person in the family that has that same level of anxiety or stress around that build-up? What kind of thoughts do you have that you might 
be able to share with um, our listeners today? Again, it comes down to an awareness and understanding triggers, whether they be that of your own triggers or that of a child. Understanding them, supporting them and encouraging really honest, transparent discussions so the child feels safe to actually say, to, to recognise the emotion and to talk about it. And of course, you know, if the, if the child is not able to talk about it, it's recognising the behaviours that might be related to a particular emotion. You both talk about talking about things, don't you? But I think sometimes that's the thing that people find the hardest. Because Christmas is meant to be awesome, right? It's, you know, Santa and reindeers and gifts and presents and you're meant to be going around and smiling and grinning and giving all of those gifts. But if it doesn't feel like that, um, what would you say to someone that's really struggling to kind of find those words or maybe doesn't have a relationship with a trusted person or is afraid just to kind of come out there and say, you know, actually for me, Christmas sucks and this is why? It's an interesting thing because it's easy for us to say, you know, just say it. But it's also okay for people not to disclose all of their inner self to the world. And they don't have to tell you that they don't want to come to Christmas because Christmas is really hard for them. It's for them to decide the level of disclosure that they want. Um, And it's definitely not for us to tell them that they have to disclose. And I think things that Belinda mentioned with the children on triggers, they come with adults as well. It's not just triggers with, with young people. But we will get to see signs and symptoms of the people that we love. And it's our our role to also be looking out for them with people that have complex trauma and they will show those signs. And so if we give them the space to be able to and, and, and we can read some of those signs that they're struggling, we can also be at the opposite end and, you know, maybe withdraw some of that heightened emotion at Christmas for somebody that we can see struggling. So it doesn't all just depend on the person and their autonomy to say, I don't want to be here or I can't be here. But to say, hey, do you want to come out into the back garden and and have a seat and a cup of tea instead of the heightened state of the kitchen right now with 10 family members? We can also support each other in that way. You both spoke about self-care previously. Also, the work we do at Irma and the work that all three of you have done in your careers, you know, it intersects with you know, trauma and alcohol and drugs. And we do know that it can be a very triggering time for people who have an issue with alcohol or drug misuse or people who may be trying to not use or drink. And it's typically a really tough time. Do you have any observations or comments to make about what it can be like for people who do have to health plus substance misuse or or anything like that because you know it's really interrelated isn't it Jackie I'll start with you I think I said it before triggers you know we're setting people up in these circumstances we celebrate and when we celebrate often in the Australian culture it, it definitely has a wine or a beer in hand there's something that goes along with Christmas and that celebration so I think, again, in this circumstance, you've got the person who, who may be identifying with an issue with drugs and alcohol, but they also may not be identifying. So I think if they are identifying, respect that. We don't need to be encouraging people that have had the strength to say, no, I don't want to drink today. We don't need to put the peer pressure in that space. And we, we respect that and we move on and say, okay, I'll grab you a cup of tea or do you want a soft drink or you know, is there something else that, that you would like? Respect that and, and work through that with them because that's a, a real strength of character to do. Moving on from that, we then have others that maybe haven't recognised 
the issues and, and what follows on and the trauma that may come from having too many drinks and the emotions and how that can, you know, definitely change a Christmas day very quickly. But I think understanding comes in that space as well and having the right space and time to be able to pull somebody aside. And again, this is that back garden trick. You know, let's go for a walk. Let's go down the block. Let's get out of here. It's too heightened. There's too much noise. Let's just take some time out and being there for each other. People are going through different things at different times. So I think understanding and probably boundaries in that as well, because you also have to look after your own mental health and how it impacts you when these things may come to play. So there's there's quite a lot of steps in that as a process and each family will be slightly different on how they can handle it and how comfortable they feel in that space. But ultimately you do need to look after yourself and you do need to make sure that you're in the best place to one, can you help? Two, should you help? And three, do you need to ask for help and make those decisions, I think. What about you, Belinda? I think it's a hard one, Em. I think that, um, you know, we, we often go down the line of drug and alcohol use and that being difficult for a lot of people, but I think it really does extend. I think that drug and alcohol misuse is absolutely something that is an incredible difficulty for a lot of people, but I also think that harmful behaviours and actions extend beyond substance use. It can be isolation, it can be misuse of food, it can be self-harming behaviours, there can be a whole range of behaviours that can be problematic that people struggle with throughout the Christmas period. Yet we're somewhat programmed to kind of approach Christmas as a time to let our hair down, relax and indulge. So it becomes a really tricky space for many. And whether it's indulging in all the bubbles or all the so good yet not so good foods or not move from the beach or two, it's, it really is like the one time of the year where we tend to reward ourselves without any limits. I truly believe that rewards are important, as, as is the wind down after incredibly busy year years, if you consider COVID as well. But I don't think it needs to be an all or nothing approach. I think we can have the re- rewards, but try to maintain some of the must-dos as well. So have your beer, have your wine, but have your water, have your bad eats, add a little bit of green, sleep your days away at the beach, wear your sunscreen and, you know, the classic of park your car that little bit further away so you can get a few steps in as well. That way, if we do tend to kind of overindulge and have the not so great after effects, for example, lowered mood, which tends to follow a decent drinking session or two, we've lessened that impact somewhat. They're really good practical advice and tips. And Belinda, you've touched on COVID and I don't think we can have a conversation without having COVID in there. And I think COVID really impacted a lot of people. So, you know, a quarter of people said that they feel lonely at Christmas. And certainly I think COVID shrunk our world a lot. And you don't have to be lonely to be lonely at Christmas either, you know. And and so if people are experiencing loneliness in the build up to Christmas, I know it's, it's certainly something I, I personally always feel, you know, all of my family are in the UK, you know, and it, it seems silly, doesn't it? But why is it one day of the year you feel it more than any other? When people feel like that, and in particular when, when Christmas, I guess, really hammers that home, what can people do to work their way through that stuff at Christmas? Belinda, I might start with you with this one. If we think about the positives that have come from COVID, I think it is the accessibility of people who are far from us. So, Corenza, your family overseas, you know, we have, although we did have them prior, but things like FaceTime, 
I think it's become a little bit more norm to pick up the phone and actually see that, you know, see your family, see your friends on the other side rather than just hearing their voice. So I think that's been a real positive, as have a lot of the online social forums as well and networks. So people who are experiencing isolation or loneliness, there are a lot of opportunities to link out with shared interests, shared experience. So I think that's really fantastic. Jackie, what would you add to that as well for, you know, if, if you're feeling that loneliness and the build up to Christmas and in particular, I think Christmas Day? It's a difficult one because I think we, we all do put so much emphasis on Christmas and reality is if you're lonely on Christmas Day, you're probably lonely the day before and the day after. And so I do think the the community connectedness that you can look to if that's something that's of interest. I know with Irma, we have a number of different groups that we run. We have a a couple of hives that offer up some alternatives and some groups and interactions. And there's some, you know, ladies and men's clubs, there's walking. Those social connections are key. We're social beings. And for people that may have family that are, you know, very far away, having somebody within your local community that understands and your cultural community can be really helpful. And so I think reaching out to those connections and and seeing what you can establish before Christmas Day, you know, we've got a month before now, having the opportunity to, to find something that there is to look forward to and it may not be Christmas Day it may be that you know it's more of a lifestyle thing that you want for longer term so that you can feel more comfortable on days like Christmas and and even volunteer yourself. And at the moment the conversation about the cost of living is everywhere it's very real I mean people are feeling the pinch everywhere but you know, at Christmas in particular, we always see a lot of ads on tally and appeals just to help people have a good Christmas as a Kmart wishing tree, things like that. Financial pressures are very real and they also really impact mental health and vice versa. What are your thoughts about financial pressures, mental health? I mean, you would have seen this in your work, but also just any thoughts for listeners out there about trying to not feel under so much pressure for Christmas to be a certain way because you know when we look at the ads it's all like a fairy tale when let's face it Christmas day is often not like that. I agree Em I think it is so easy to be lured into the gift buying guilt or the entertainer's guilt and I think the biggest tip is before you do think of some alternatives that could be a gifting act of kindness for example rather than a consumable or if hosting consider ways in which you can entertain that doesn't involve a huge expensive outlay of food much of which is likely to go to waste anyway and think about the meaning behind the act or the occasion whether faith-based or otherwise as opposed to the pressures that may be more related to societal expectation guilt even external validation What about you, Jackie? What we have, I guess, within our councils as well is they often have free activities that are available at Christmas. I think there's a hot or not list currently in Melbourne that's on the internet where there's 42 different options of free activities that that are available. And when I think back to, you know, my Christmases as a young person, I remember the memories. I don't necessarily remember the gift. And I know at the time, you know, kids are very much on what's on the latest thing on TV and YouTube and all the rest of it. But what they remember ultimately is what they did with their mum, dad, grandparents, aunties, uncles. We often will do a, um, a water bomb fight. That's probably 
our funnest thing on Christmas Day. And that costs us nothing. But it's the laughter that comes from that. It's the chase. It's the thrill. And and it's the game. And so I think bringing back to, you know, what our family values and that time together and that spending and maybe it's singing the daggy Christmas songs or wearing the daggiest hat competition or T-shirt competition. Those are the things that actually are remembered and those are the things that you will hold on to later on. That is so true. I remember as a kid, funny that you say that, the most exciting thing was, because it was in England, obviously, so it was dark at four o'clock, right? And, you know, hanging out with our cousins and going outside and looking at all the stars and trying to see if you could spot Santa. And every year it was the family tradition. We would go to my grand's house and we would, yeah, go Santa spotting. You can do things that don't cost a lot of money or don't have to. And, And I think, Belinda, your tips too about you're hosting a gathering, you know, bring a plate to share simple things like that you know are are ways that you can still because people aren't necessarily interested in the food that you're going to put on they're interested in the company right so I think those are really practical tips but I want to talk a bit about anxiety as well so I mean anxiety affects a lot of us you know I mean certainly on my own mental health journey anxiety's definitely played a part absolutely in my life and one of the things that I've learned is that you can actually manage your anxiety yourself and you can manage it from home you both touched a little bit on that, I guess, about some of the well-being things. But I'm interested, you know, if for people listening listening to us, you know, and if you're feeling anxious, maybe if anxiety is new and you've not experienced it before, what are the, some of the things that you can do yourself that can actually help some of those feelings? Belinda and Jackie, what do you think? We spoke a little bit about knowing triggers throughout the podcast. So it really is about knowing them, knowing the triggers, removing or even avoiding triggers and where you're unable to practice strategies that can be effective to reduce the symptoms of anxiety. So whether that be walks, mindfulness or meditation, good diet cannot be underestimated, absence of substances, maintaining regular appointments with professionals. A lot of people find journaling really, really helpful. Of course, there's compliance with medication if they're prescribed. And if all else fails, reach out to a professional. So reach out to a professional when anxiety or depression or any other unwanted emotion is getting away from you. Interventions really vary um, and can be incredibly effective. And I think it's really important to remember that early intervention is key. So there's no shame in asking for help, whether that is professional or otherwise. Just speaking up and saying, I'm struggling a little bit here, I might need some help. Thanks, Brenda. And I guess you can even start with your GP as well, can't you? Someone that you might know or trust. Absolutely. GPs are the best place to start. They can assist with mental health care plans and link you into psychologists, social worker counsellors, people who have got the tools to be able to really assist. And what do you think, Jackie? What would you add? I mean, in terms of thinking about some of those things you might be able to do yourself to just help manage your your own levels of anxiety? I think... uh, I'm going to go back to the triggers that Belinda's mentioned and and mapping it out. You know, when you aren't in an anxious state, having that that time to sit down, map out what your triggers are, reflect back and go, you know, what what did I do when this happened? How did I know that that was coming? Was it that my heart started beating faster? Was it that I started twitching with my hands? Was it that I got up and paced in the room? Did I go and get a drink? Was there something that actually hit for me? 
understanding when you're first starting to feel that gives you an earlier opportunity to intervene and stop it from escalating to the point that you can't actually manage it and that you may lash out. And so I think obviously if you're by yourself, being able to do that yourself is is really strong for your own health. But if you have somebody and a partner as well, sharing that with them, letting them know, because sometimes you won't pick up on it quite so quickly and they may, they'll take notice and they'll go, oh, you know, Jackie, are you okay at the minute? You know, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to step outside? Do you want a cup of tea? Maybe it's time we go. And I think having those people around you that do know that and you knowing theirs gives you that opportunity to to not get into that extremely anxious heightened state or to put yourself in a better place to have that. And so it may still happen, but you may be home by the time that it does and you may feel comfortable in your space and be able to manage yourself in a way that's that's better for you. So I think I'll always go back to understand who you are as a person and what it is that sets you off. Because once you do that, you'll have so much more autonomy over what you do. And for both of you, I mean, you work in the professional space and Jackie alluded to it before, you know, when sometimes you're looked at to sort things out because, you know, you work in that space and it can sometimes be a real blurring of the line. So what do both of you do to to care for your own well-being and mental health? Jackie, what's your current or, or best kind of thing that you do for yourself? I, I try and not be too harsh on myself. I think I, I often critically analyse the world, so then I find myself doing it to myself. And so being kind and, and in my own reflections, looking back and saying, actually, you did well there and that's, that's really good. Going for walks is important for me, and I do probably need to do that a bit more often. And making the time to do that. Friends and family are extremely important. Spending time with my kids, a hug from my kids, it melts everything for me. And working through things in that manner, having that trust and connection around me, and probably a bit of journaling. Thanks, Jackie. And what about you, Belinda? I guess people always think psychologists have it all sorted out, right? Yep, they do, which is obviously accurate, Em. Um, no, my, my response isn't too dissimilar to Jackie's, to be honest. Exercise is my absolute go-to, and I'm very fortunate to live near a beautiful beach and beautiful bushland, which makes exercise incredibly easy and fresh air and nature, which you know is, is, is magic for the soul, I think. And beyond that, the basics are really effective for me. So things we've already mentioned, good diet, limited alcohol, good sleep hygiene, surrounding myself with really good people and time out for quiet reflection. I think something that is really important to note is that one size does not fit all. It's a real matter of trial and error to see what strategies work for you. What might work for you and might not work for you, Carenza. And you really have to try it, persist and try a few different things to see what fits well. But there is something that's going to fit well. It just feels right. You will do a particular activity. At the end of that activity, you are going to feel a little bit more peaceful. You are going to feel a little bit more grounded and centred. So it's definitely worth persisting and and trying to find your thing. Karenza, what about you? I want to hear what you're doing because you, you shared recently with, with the organisation and we put it out on social media about just some changes you'd made in your life. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm listening to 
the conversation I'm appalling at times I'm shocking you know I think yeah I, you know what am I doing you know in terms of taking care of my own mental health look I love the gym there's no doubt but for me it's I have to find space to silence my mind because it just it doesn't stop it can just keep going and going and going and my thoughts will keep going and you know I'll keep dreaming about different things so for me it's about how do I find those quiet moments and that quiet space. So very recently, I've actually been physically making myself leave home and go to my gym and do some meditation classes. And the impact is phenomenal. It's very different actually to doing it myself at home because I just go, oh, no time today, no time tonight. You know, I've set alarms on my watch, all of those things. So for me, it's actually about making myself do things. And I think, Jackie and Belinda, you both said about making times in your day to actually practice those things. The other thing I love, and I never have enough time to do it, but is to pick up a book and read. And just to have that beautiful moment of escapism, which is purely, completely self-indulgent time for me. So I find those things really nice. What about you then? What is it that you do around your self-care and what might you be practicing at Christmas? Yeah, it's been a bit of a you know, journey for me with this because I used to think self-care was like some sort of rubbish, indulgent Oprah Winfrey type thing. But it's actually since really working at Irma and just, just I guess, maturing as a person that self-care is so important. So you mentioned reading. I was a voracious reader as a kid and teenager and in my 20s and whenever before social media came and I got onto that. So I've been just back reading, you know, and reading for pleasure. Just so I read widely and I find that's really good for calming my mind down. Definitely walking things like that. And just, just being more present. I find it sometimes hard to be present and not thinking about what I have to do. But things have improved recently with that. So yeah, just being in the moment. But we're coming to the end of the conversation today. And I, I think this, this is an opportunity really. Any final thoughts again for the podcast listeners today, in particular about Christmas stress and anxiety. And again, you know, we've talked about this as one of the six most stressful things. So just in, I guess, closing comments and remarks, Jackie and Belinda, Belinda, we might start with you. Yeah, mine would be know your boundaries and celebrate them. I think that's a big one. Also, for those who are who are fortunate enough not to be spending Christmas alone or who may not have some of the difficulties that we've spoken about this morning, it can be great to look around and see if there's people who you know who may find this time difficult and reaching out to them. It really could make all the difference. Those are really wise words. Thank you. And, and Jackie, what about you? What, what are the pearls of wisdom that you've got today that you would like to share? That life isn't perfect and that what you see on TV isn't real. Stop comparing yourself to that and that you're okay and you will be okay. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks, Belinda. It's been great having this conversation um, today. And I really hope this podcast will be really helpful and useful for some some people listening to it today. And, and I just think that tip, if you know, Christmas isn't something that you're worried about this year, looking out amongst your family and friends and seeing who might be potentially having a tough time and reaching out is hugely important. Yeah, and thanks. I forgot to say at the start, Jackie and Belinda have joined us from Darwin. They're up very early. They're both they're both at a big criminology conference, which sounds very exciting. So I'm looking forward to hearing how that went. So thank you both for your time and getting up at seven AM Darwin time to do this podcast. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, this is our last episode for twenty. 22, and we want to thank everyone for supporting us, all our guests. It's been a great year. And 
remember that festive stress is normal, but if you're not coping, you can talk to someone. Remember, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And we'll also put some other links and numbers to other services in the show notes for this episode. And just like Jackie and Belinda said, you know, some things are supposed to be fun and festive. That's an expectation. It doesn't mean that you have to feel that way. It's okay. So respect how you feel and try and manage as best you can without putting too much pressure on yourself. When you're feeling sad, overwhelmed or stressed, ask yourself, what can I do right now to feel better? This might involve practicing some of the tips that Jackie and Belinda have suggested in this podcast. But most importantly, take care of your own well-being. Enjoy the holidays in whatever way is best for you and whatever way will cause the least amount of stress and anxiety. So thank you all very much. Carenza, any final words before we wrap up for 2022? Oh, Emily, I think um, it's been great fun doing the Get Real podcast this year and we've had some phenomenal conversations really about mental health and we've had awesome guests like Jackie and Belinda who've come on and shared thoughts and ideas and their stories and strategies and I'm really looking forward to 2023 and really more conversations about mental health and disability and you know really continuing to try and blow away those stigmas and discrimination that exists around these topics and just keep having those frank and fearless conversations then. Yeah, great. And I'm hoping we'll have Belinda and Jackie back next year. So yeah, we're looking forward to a big year next year. So to all our listeners, have a safe Christmas and new year and whatever celebration or holiday you celebrate. Yeah, just stay well and we'll see you next year. Cheers. You've been listening to Get Real, talking mental health and disability, brought to you by the team at Irma365. Get Real is produced and presented by Emily Webb with Carenza Louis-Smith and special guests. If you've been affected by anything discussed in this podcast, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14 or go to lifeline.org.au. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.